0: Hey, welcome. This is the Smith Society podcast, a podcast about storytellers and storytelling. I'm your host, Dwayne Fernandez, and I've got some ice stuck in my throat, so I have to go take care of that. On today's episode, we're going to feature the incomparable Lee Sung Jin. He is currently the creator, writer, showrunner, executive producer of Beef, a Netflix series starring Steven Yun, Ali Wong, produced by A24. He has other television products in development with A24, FX, and Lionsgate. He has a lot of other products in development on the feature side as well. He is the hardest working person I know. His past credits include FX's Dave, Amazon's Undone, Netflix's Tuca & Bertie, HBO's Silicon Valley, and FX's It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. I remember hearing about Lee Sung Jin years ago. Everyone I knew was raving about how nice he was his impeccable style, and really just how talented he was as an individual. I've been following his career for over 10 years and when we were brainstorming people to feature on season one, I knew this was my opportunity to ask him all those questions I've been dying to ask. But I knew getting him on the podcast was gonna be a challenge. But against his better judgment and some debating, uh, he said he'd do it. And I'm so grateful he did. So let's jump in. Oh, and one final note. This was recorded in fall of 2019. It was a much different time, although only a few years ago, but it's important to note because I think it helps frame some of the conversation. I hope you enjoy. All right, so I'm gonna ask you a few questions. I would like for you to pronounce your name both ways.
1: Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, well, uh, my Korean name, well, my given name is uh, Lee Song Jin. Uh, in Korean, you put the uh, last name first. So, like, that's why, I like, director Bong Joon Ho, uh, Bong is his last name. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, my legal name is Sung Jin Lee, but I, I like to present it now as uh, Lee Sungjin because uh, that's the Korean way, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when did you decide that
0: you wanted to focus on the Korean aspect? Of, like, where, when did you wanted to like the traditional way?
1: Oh, yeah. Um, well, I, I was. Uh, I I was born in Korea and then I, I moved around a lot. I, I um moved to the States when I was nine months old and um and uh you know I and then I moved back to Korea from third through fifth grade. Mm. And um when I came from Korea to Minnesota in sixth grade, um I, I had gone through Sungjin I had gone by Sungjin the whole time and then in sixth grade Minnesota, you know, adolescence uh, it, uh, the name got made fun of a lot and like the teacher would just like mispronounce my name every attendance, every day, like like throwing in like consonants that weren't even there. <laughs> and like, uh, and so I, I was so frustrated that, uh, one day I was just like looking at my homework and in the name section, I was like, you know what, Sonny. And I just wrote that for some reason and, um, and it kind of stuck and I went by Sunny forever since then, since sixth grade. And then uh, I had no intention of ever changing it because everyone knows me as Sonny. I seem like a Sonny, I guess. Uh, But uh, about like a year and a half ago or maybe two years ago, I was in uh, Santa Monica. I used to live in Santa Monica and um, there's this coffee uh, shop, Dogtown Coffee. That's awesome. Shout out, Dogtown. And um, uh, they had called my order and they read the name on my credit card and uh these two like grown white women uh laughed at my name being called because it's like very foreign sounding and you know it like i like was like i like it felt shame and i like grabbed my stuff and like walked out really fast and uh i didn't like how that felt and i i, I thought oh i i should try to um You know, change the uh, stigma associated with Eastern-sounding names, and so, you know, like when I when I think about, you know, director Bong Joon Ho or like Park Chan Wook, like, you know, when I hear those names, they sound badass to me because they make um, really amazing content, and so I was like, oh, if there's more uh, Korean-sounding names that are associated with dope stuff, then it'll help change the stigma around that, Uh, and so about. I think the first time I started going by it professionally was on uh, Tuka and Birdie, and uh, that was the first time in like credits that it appeared that way, and I, I really liked how that looked and felt, and so I kind of stuck with it.
0: Dude, I love that so much. Yeah, yeah. And you're absolutely right. People need to, the more people hear that, the more people understand like, that there's different cultures and there's different sounds, and they're just normal, and they're actually awesome. Yeah. And the people who are making this content, is, they're extraordinary people, and yeah. you should know
1: the names, and you should know these sounds exactly I mean I, I, so when I was growing up like I, I just felt so much like uh, you know I grew, you know I moved a lot in the Midwest and I felt like a lot of shame about uh, my Koreanness and um, and I, I think you like do so much to try and like distance yourself from it as a child and like be as white as possible and um, you know I feel like now things are changing in a great way uh, hopefully and um, you know for other Korean people American kids out there. Like, it's just cool to, like, have more stuff that, like, looks and feels familiar, you know, out in the open. And if more people could be doing stuff like that, then, like, there's there's no way culture can't acknowledge that that's cool, you know? Absolutely. And, yeah, and then
0: they, they hear, you know, a kid in living in Omaha hears about this cool movie, goes to see it, hears this name, and it just, it's like... <laughs> They don't even, qu- like, it just becomes part of their vernacular and are they part of their uh, their reality that these are names and they're normal and they're, ext- you know, like, like, I can't stop saying the word extraordinary because he's such a great director. Yeah. He's <laughs> but, like, the best. he's absolutely, I mean, it's just unbelievable. Um, well, that's cool. Um, that's neat. When you were. Growing up, you said you're Minneapolis. Yep. Is where you spent, where you, you moved from Seoul to Minneapolis? Uh,
1: I moved, uh, first I moved to Urbana-Champaign because my dad was going to grad school there. And um, and then we moved to uh, Lafayette, Louisiana, and then uh, Minneapolis, like downtown Minneapolis, and then Plymouth, uh, which is a suburb of Minneapolis, and then Korea, and then, let me try to remember, and then back to Wayzata, Minnesota, and then uh, San Antonio, and then I went to college in Philly, and then my parents moved to Ames, Iowa, and then they moved to Naperville, Illinois, and I would go to, like, summer there during my college years. And then um, and then I moved to New York after college, and then L.A. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> of all those places, is there, is there one place in mind that you have fond memories? Mm-hmm no yeah (laughs) uh there's like pros and cons to everywhere i think Mm um i mean yeah i think i i i have 50 50 pros and cons of each place (laughs) yeah yeah uh i definitely have probably like a fondness for minnesota because like there was a lot that was like my um like junior high years, and you kind of form a lot of your opinions and tastes during that time. Uh, but uh, yeah, I feel like I kind of, I kind of like in hindsight, in hindsight really like that I moved around a lot because it, uh, it, it just like makes you aware of many different people and um, forces you to kind of like adapt and be open, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, I wouldn't recommend it as a parent. I don't think uh, in the present kids like doing that too much, but uh, but it it was cool looking back. You know, there's one thing that I always I'm fascinated by
0: Minneapolis because like there was this was it like early 2000s there was this weird hip hop scene that came out of there and like Atmosphere Mm -hmm. and ELP and I'm like what is happening in (laughs) Minneapolis where like there's this incredible sound of like white rappers and white Mm -hmm. uh, producers that were doing like very emotional hip hop, you mm-hmm. know, like atmosphere is like, God loves ugly. It was like this really emotional journey and like his girl broke his heart. So he wrote her album about it. And yeah. like, what's happening
1: up there? So. Yeah, no, Minneapolis has an incredible art scene. Um, I mean, I wasn't too privy to it cause I was pretty young, but I, I would always, you know, like want to go to like, um, I think his first Ave was like a venue there. And that whole like area you like as a junior high school kid heard about how cool it was and how, um artistic it was but uh yeah it it that all my friends actually in junior high in Minneapolis i think um they were like the most artsy friends i've ever had uh, it's like weirdly um very like creative place yeah
0: i think it's cuz all that how cold it gets like you just yeah. Yeah, you're, you're in your <laughs> house you're like
1: having a very to stuff. cold yeah
0: the coldest i've ever been in my life was up there it was like i was in college and i was in madison wisconsin and it was like negative 25 and like why do people live here
1: yeah i remember one one uh school morning it was uh the wind chill was negative 70 and it broke a record and and i think we still had to go to school (laughs) (laughs) i don't even know what that like that number means now um like even like positive seventy now is cold to me, <laughs> you know. Like negative seventy, what? Uh, but uh, yeah, it got very cold, and I, yeah, I, I think maybe that is that might be part of the reason. I mean, uh, hardship does bring up uh, good art. <laughs> yeah. Um,
0: when you're traveling around the middle of the country, what did you want to be when you were growing up? Like, did it did you have one thing? Did you have many things that evolved? Did it? But what was going through your mind at that time?
1: Mm, I'm not sure. Uh, you know, I, my parents are pretty traditional and, um, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't really think about, uh, I feel like my mindset growing up wasn't like so much like, what do I want to be? Or like dreaming of things. It was more like, what am I uh, supposed to do? And like, uh, like, um, you know, how high of an SAT score am I supposed to get? And, it was very like very rigid and I felt like there were rules to life and um you know I had to do this to get to that and so I wasn't sort of like dreaming as I was as much as I was like oh there's a plan set out for me and I'm just supposed to do these steps and then everything will work out um which you know uh it did work out but it definitely didn't work out the way anyone had planned um but yeah I I just like uh I studied a lot and um you know, did really well in my SATs and uh What went, what is your number? Uh I think I got uh fifteen sixty. Yeah. My sister actually Incredible. got a fifteen eighty. Wow. Um, and so uh yeah, and um you know, I went to University of Pennsylvania and I thought I was supposed to be an investment banker and I like majored in economics. I like, did really badly in it. Um can't tell you like anything about economics now but uh yeah it was a very different plan but looking back i would say that i always had a uh a creative side and i I, that's what i probably was drawn to just as a human you know I, i i remember i did this thing um i think it was like in sixth grade uh called odyssey of the mind i don't know if uh that's like a you know state national thing but um It was like this cool, like extracurricular group and you like were given like prompts and then you had to create like, like anything from this prompt, like it could be like a sketch or like a play or a musical and, and then, um, judges like judged how creative it was. And then it like, there was like a national tournament. And, um, I remember I loved that so much and I always did really well in like writing courses and, um anything creative. I was very musical growing up. I played violin forever and guitar and uh, piano and stuff. And so I definitely like, it was there. It just wasn't like, um, it was just supposed to be like an extracurricular to put on your resume so that you got into a good school and not like a profession, yeah. Do you still play stuff? Um, I do. Uh, You know, I, I actually thought music was gonna be my first thing like out of college. I um was in a band and um I my first internship was at like this independent uh music label off of Sony called uh Barsuk Records that uh Jack Ponty, who is like the um guitarist for Bon Jovi and he like wrote a bunch of songs. He had like I like reached out to him on this uh internet forum and he like gave me an internship. Uh I love it. And uh yeah, I thought I really thought music was gonna be my thing because it's it's like um, probably like my first love, uh, but um, but yeah, I I, um, I I thought that that was gonna be the route, but uh, it didn't it didn't work out. I mean, so I still play like for fun, but um, I don't think I could do it as like a job. Yeah. A tough gig. <laughs> it is.
0: So you travel around. You you pursue this major in economics at mm-hmm. Penn, and. Here you are, and you're a writer. So, mm-hmm. take me through the journey of how you go from being at Penn as a
1: economics major to being a creative writer. Yeah, it was it was like mostly just being poor. <laughs> uh, it, I uh, I gradua- I graduated, and then um, I didn't really know what I was doing, and I moved to New York with no real plan. Um, I actually remember I packed uh, my Honda CRV with all my stuff. It was uh, winter time, cause I had like stayed in Philly after I graduated, just like, I think I was like helping out with a church or something. And, um, uh, and I packed all my stuff and I was planning to move to New York. And um, I, I stayed over, over at a friend's place. And in the morning when I was walking out to my car, I saw some like of my like ties strewn about in the snow. And I was like, oh no. And then uh, I looked at my car and the back window had been smashed, and they stole like e- literally everything I owned. Um, you know, I, I had actually I had covered my stuff with a blanket, thinking that that would do the trick. <laughs> you know, that people were dumb enough to be like, "Oh, that blanket must not be hiding anything." <laughs> Uh, so they stole all my stuff. I actually had like a bag of important documents and um, it had like my like everything like passport, diploma, everything in there I still don't have a diploma. Um, mm-hmm. And the only thing they left were uh, a couple CDs, like which is very insulting. you know <laughs> like like we, not only will we steal from you, but like your taste is not great. <laughs> and so we'll leave this Aladdin soundtrack right here and take everything else and uh and that was like my first like you know like move and uh to like start my adult life and my friends at the time uh they were so kind and they pulled together a bunch of money and gave me like a couple hundred bucks to move to new york and um uh shout out to uh Jason Min and David Kim uh who uh, coordinated <laughs> that and uh, I moved to New York and I just like, I was really depressed and really poor for a very long time. I like just like found like roommates via Craigslist uh, which uh, is uh, not a great way to find roommates. And um, I moved around so much in New York uh, cause I couldn't afford any place for very long. And I remember I like lived in Greenpoint I, oh, but this is before it was cool, and um, uh, I just like never left my room. It was, I, I I watched like the O C like nonstop. That's all I remember. Uh, that's actually when I started like blogging. This was like early Blogger days, um, so it must be like two thousand three or four. And I blogged a lot about the OC. <laughs> like that's all I blogged about. Please tell me these the records of this exist <laughs> well, I, still. <laughs> I actually deleted the blog, but it got really popular. It was called Silly Pipe Dreams, and um, and actually, like, uh, it was like the one thing I enjoyed doing. And so I did that a lot, and I just like created this weird following because I would post about music that was on television before like anyone was really doing that. And Josh Schwartz actually found my blog, and um, and I like started having some communication with him via that and yeah it, it like uh it got like pretty big and then um but i was doing that and and just trying to find a job and then a friend of mine um got me in for an interview at the nbc page program like at 30 rockefeller like it's like literally kenneth the page with the blue blazer and stuff you're like making ten dollars an hour giving studio tours and stuff and so uh i got in and that was, that was great. It was a lot of fun. Met some of some really good friends there. And, um, uh, I got like a job at, at the today show, uh, which I hated cause like my hours were like 1 PM to 4 AM, which is like the opposite of humans. Like it just like, uh, my depression got worse and, um, I had met, Uh, a friend through the program uh this guy pat walsh and um both of us were interested in writing and we decided to try writing together we don't write together anymore but um you know we kind of started our careers together and we wrote this pilot about the page program and um it somehow got into the right hands and um and we like were fielding like offers from agents and we flew out to LA to like meet with all the different agents and um and that kind of like started things I guess yeah how long were you a page uh not I wasn't a page for the full year it's a year program I think I was like maybe like six months or so so creative
0: writing wise the OC hooks you into like (laughs) telling a story (laughs) is that kind of the first time is that kind of the first time that you're actually putting yourself out there into writing in creative writing? Is that, had you done stuff prior?
1: Um, no. I mean, yeah, blogging was like my first, I had a, I had a zanga back then a pre-blogger. It was like the worst zanga imaginable. It was just like me trying to like, uh, break into parties I found in, in New York. <laughs> I would sometimes go, I would like research what premieres were happening and, um, and then get dressed up in a suit and go by myself, and then like somehow sneak into these parties and just be there alone. <laughs> and I would like uh, sit by like where the hors d'oeuvres were coming out, and that would be like my dinner for the day. And then I would like try to network or something. And um, yeah, those are dark times. <laughs> uh, but I was like, my zanga was like just updates about those nights, and then um, and thank God it's no longer available. Uh, but blogging was, like, my first... And I wouldn't call my blogging, like, creative writing at all. It was just, like, fanboying more so. Uh, but, yeah, I, I didn't really... My first time really writing anything creative... I mean, I wrote stuff, like, for school and, and, and growing up. But, like, uh, you know, the first time was with Pat, just kind of um, just watching a lot of television and reading a lot of books. And that became my new obsession, you know? Like, since I, I'm not a very, like uh I, I like to stay in and so um you know I just like spent hours watching stuff uh, trying to just become obsessed with it and put in my 10,000 hours you know and um yeah and and uh, it's it's it, you could, I feel like um as long as like you're passionate and obsessive about something you can you can pick it up pretty quick anything I think well
0: the formula's out there right you can watch a great show you can break it down you can you know Start understanding acts, and you can start really mm-hmm. creating a beat sheet, yeah, and seeing like, oh, there's kind of a do wouldn't say a formula here, but there's something here that works, mm-hmm. and maybe I can use my own creativity to come up with my own thing
1: that works, and yeah. maybe I can innovate. I think that's that's exactly right, and and uh, I think for myself, it's easy, and for a lot of people, it's easy to just get start stuck in that first phase, which is um, mimicking others. And I think, um, I mean, in general, just in being a human, that's what we're doing most of the time. You know, you're born into this world and 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 you, you as a child are mimicking behaviors and, and tastes and things and learning how to be. And, uh, and I think with writing, it's the same thing where at first you're looking at other things that were supposedly good and trying to break it down and copy that, uh, not like, copy and paste that, but just like absorb that. And I think for a majority of writers and definitely for myself, um, uh, you kind of get stuck and think like that's what writing is. But like you said, there's this next phase that um, hopefully one can get to where you, you learn that that exists and then realize, oh, that's just what other people do. Doesn't mean I have to do that. Um, how do I want to approach this? What are the, what are the rules I want to make? And then you, you learn to, um, kind of define your own type of storytelling and your own voice. And I think that comes hand in hand with also you as a human, um, learning to kind of filter out the stuff that you've, you've absorbed from other people and getting, trying to figure out who you really are and who your true self is. Um, which I kind of had to do uh, in order to get, to, like, I, you know, I, I feel like my career sort of has two phases. And that first phase, even though I did have success with it, it was me mimicking others and just trying to fit in and do stuff that uh, that other I thought people would like. And then, um, and I found that me as a human, I was doing that as well, you know, I you come to LA and you, you think you, you know, you're just trying to fit in with the crowd, I guess. And, or at least I was. And, um, you know, I would go to like general meetings and people would be like, uh, you're know, with executives and they'd be like, Oh, what's your favorite comedy of all time? And I would say Caddyshack because that's what everyone said, but I don't like Caddyshack, <laughs> you know? And I would just say that because I thought that's what you're supposed to say. And, uh-huh. um, and so like the first phase of my career, I definitely think I was um, unhappy because I was not being true to myself in my writing, nor as a human being in just like life. And um, it took sort of a, a big kind of breakdown breakthrough in order for me to uh, realize like I don't have to do that and um, I can uh, start trying to get to know who I really am. And then um, my writing, I think, has slowly started to reflect that more. And it's kind of taken me a different direction, I think. That's awesome. Yeah.
0: That's really beautiful. And I think that there's an evolution there. And I think that what you discover, to your point, is like you're trying to understand how... I mean, I think by the very nature, the studios and the networks kind of impose the will of like mimicking. You know, like, they want that. They want the Mm -hmm. next... By them saying we want the next Seinfeld, like they're looking for material that kind of rep- represents something that was successful in the past. Yes. And so, with that, as you're coming here as a, a young creative person, you're like, okay, that's what they want. So I'm going to go and look and start mimicking. To your point, it's one, it's human nature. Mm-hmm. Two, it's then the system is actually telling you that's what they want. And yeah. then so, like an innovative idea is a risky idea. So if this idea doesn't comp against something, then it's super risky, and mm-hmm. like you really have to find someone that can really. Be a champion of that and sell it through. But I think your path, what it has shown is like you can be very successful by fitting in within the system, being very good at that, finding your voice along the way, and then discovering how do I make my voice and how do I take that story, take my story, my truth, my vulnerabilities, and apply them in a way that I, now that you know how the system works.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think, because ultimately, I think people, whether they know it or not, are. We're we're probably like seeking authenticity, you know, and truth. And um, and I don't, and it's not even just the studio systems that uh, are sort of enforcing this. It's just like society in general, you know, like the status quo, like just so much of our lives are people telling you like, oh, like be normal or, uh, or this is, this is the way, or like, like why, like you know, there's a very like hive mind sort of uh nature to us. And so you're constantly sort of feeling like you have to like um contort yourself to fit in this predetermined shape as a just being. And I think that's like, uh, you know, manifests in like the studio system, but also just like with like people and like, you know, uh I think you're, like, looking back, it, life has just been, like, a long journey of, like, filtering out people who, like, are trying to, like, fit you into this thing and finding people that allow you to um, not only just be, but, like, be the purest form of yourself. And, um, yeah, so, I, you know, I, I, it is tough. Like, it, it's just, like, a constant uh, battle, uh, for me anyway, to... Um, kind of give me the space to to do that and that's I think why I don't really like go out that much I'm a very very uh, I'm a hermit and I you know I don't like I, I used to go out a lot but like now I, I like really I think it's tough like because when you go out and you surround yourself with when you put yourself into certain environments you can't help but absorb that energy you know and um and and uh, and then you take that back with you, and so I i try to like kind of shield myself from that a little bit. Yeah. So I think that you're, you know,
0: to a comment you said earlier, we're we're learning these things from society that are like, yeah, uh, there's there's something wrong with being a loner. There's something wrong with being a hermit. I'm not even saying that those are the same things, but like mm-hmm. we have all these predis preconceived notions through society that no no you've got to be outgoing you've got to be we love charming people we want people who can be hold a room and hold court and those are valuable people to us as a society and we're starting to realize like actually the people who are like introverts and very quiet are actually innovating society mm-hmm. through technology through stories and like it's because they want to be alone and they just want to work on their craft mm-hmm. and please let me do
1: that yeah I mean I think uh I think it's very valuable because uh that's the only way you can really um give yourself the space to uh get to know yourself and i think that's sort of the troubling thing about the times that we're in with like social media and like instagram and twitter and stuff it's like designed for you know very uh outgoing um sort of uh external facing personalities and um and even like and like i find that there's like a trend in terms of like sort of like writing and uh just in the industry that like they reward more people who um are very outgoing thus have more followers and like uh but like you know traditionally a lot of writers are very not good at that and a lot of personalities don't enjoy that and it's tough to maintain that when the system especially online that we've created uh doesn't really like you know you know give shine to that that kind of personality but um but yeah i think it's really important to give yourself space for that because that's that's the only way you can like really hear your own voice because it's it's pretty loud otherwise well yeah it's and on top of that when you're actually going
0: out and doing all these events you're going to your agent saying go to you need to go to network at this event when you're early in your career we want you to go and take these meetings and you're like. I have no time to actually write (laughs) like when do I write when do I actually get to sit down and be quiet with my thoughts and come up with ideas if I'm constantly running around (laughs)
1: yeah (laughs) yeah because I mean writing is mostly uh it's like 90 percent just like doing nothing you know like most of it's like hard enough to write without stuff going on because like I like I'll, I'll spend like a week at home and like six out of the seven days is just like mostly me, like moving from spot to spot, you know? Like, (laughs) oh, I'll sit here for a little bit. Mm, That's not working. And I I get nothing done, but it's just like meandering around the house. But that does like set the stage to then like on the seventh day, hopefully you channel something and something comes out, you know? Mm -hmm. But but it's a very fragile process uh, for me, you know? Uh, I know writers who, uh, can pump stuff out. I certainly can't. Um, but yeah, for me, it's a very fragile process where like, you know, six days of solitude and I'm like hoping that something will spark and then like something will interrupt me and then um, and then I have to start over <laughs> and then do another six days of doing, of just sitting around. Uh, so yeah, it, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to write and also be social for me, but uh, everyone's different and, and I, I know there's plenty of people who can do it too i i just um i'm envious because i don't know how
0: well uh i think yeah there's different phases like i think that while you're moving around there's all these things going on in your brain they're actually trying to figure out that all the little steps connect all the dots figure out the structure figure out a character what's this character you know where what they and like even though you're not writing this stuff's happening in your brain mm-hmm. and uh and i think that's where like the magic happens right there's all these little snap like these little mm-hmm. like, the, like if you were to have uh, connected to uh, biometrics, you'd <laughs> right. see all this little magical light happening in your
1: brain, even though you're just moving around from your spot. Oh yeah, as well. totally. I mean, most of the stuff I'm working on now, I've been like um, uh, kind of uh, sitting with it uh, for years. You know, uh, yeah, it's like most of most of the subconscious work is it's like um, done over a really long period of time, just daily, just interacting with your environment and um, and thinking about stuff it's well, very little like actual writing when
0: you're able to create a home when you get to a certain point where you can actually create an environment that is actually elevates your subconscious elevate you have beautiful things around you that inspire you you have quiet you're able to like create this world you you know it's almost like a garden you've like created a soil that's rich and like as you plant seeds they grow faster and you're like well I've spent all this time I've worked towards creating this home why would I want to leave it <laughs> Are you a early riser or a night owl?
1: I'm definitely a night owl um although lately i've been i've been waking up earlier uh but um yeah I find that uh weirdly like the three to four a m time is probably like when the best writing comes out unfortunately <laughs> <laughs> and
0: uh one is that a do you know through your creative process now that like I'm going to need these nights where I'm up to like four in the morning trying to break through here or is it something that is common in your pattern now that you just some nights you're just throughout the week yeah, I'm up I'll be up till four or five?
1: I definitely am trying like not to do that just because it's like I'm getting older and I can't. But, um, but it just kind of shakes out that way. I've, I mean, I've been trying really hard to uh, just have more of like a regimented schedule of writing but um yeah it's tough uh because it's that's i just think that that for me is um the magic hour because the most of the world is asleep so it's very quiet uh and um kind of there's just like less clutter and uh to to have to get through to like tap into the source you know and so I just find it easier; like stuff flows better at that hour, even though I'm very tired. Um, and maybe it is because I'm tired, because then you're like not overthinking things, and um, you can just kind of be in the flow. But uh, yeah, it's it's very. There's a definitely a drastic difference between um, how much gets out uh, between three and four uh, and all the other hours. <laughs> do you uh, do you collect anything? I do. I, I, collect, uh, I collect finals, a lot of first pressings, and I also collect a lot of old books. Um, I like, uh, there's this book in San, bookstore in Santa Monica uh, Angel Bookstore, and the owner is awesome. He's a really cool guy, and he has a lot of stuff. I also go to Bart's books in Ohio a lot. They have a lot of cool stuff. But yeah, I just love collecting like old things. Um, I don't know, there's something about like the history of it that feels nice. Do you think when you see a book, is it... Obviously, there's a
0: handful of, like, bucket list books that must be in the collection, but when you're at these bookstores, is it, like, the visual
1: element that will pop out or sometimes it's a story you might read?
0: What's usually... What are you drawn to?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's definitely, like, the standard ones. Like, I have, like, a really early To Kill a Mockingbird, I think, A First Pressing, and, like, um, the first paperback of Catcher in the Rye and um, things like that, you know? Uh, But then I have, like, a, a... just like, I really like, um, like sixties culture and especially like a lot of metaphysical stuff and psychedelic stuff. And, um, so like, there's this one, I have like a first edition of, uh, um, the psychedelic Tibetan book of the dead that like, um, Timothy Leary and a bunch of other people, I think from Harvard wrote, that's like really cool. Um, I have like a lot of like Huxley, um, I have like, a first pressing of like ram das be here now like things like that just like um stuff that uh i don't know i feel i feel like that i i definitely like relate to that time i think uh on a probably like spiritual level and so i try to collect stuff around that uh but yeah it's it's fun um and uh there's something about like the texture of it like in your hands that's really cool well, this day and age of everything being digital, it's so nice to have
0: something that's you can hold and touch and feel. Because mm-hmm. even you know, while you're working, uh, I don't, I don't. Do you work on a typewriter? <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> so yeah, you're working on a laptop where you're creating something yeah. that's so beautiful and important, but like it's in a digital form. So going out and actually getting something that you can hold and help inspire you is there's something beautiful about that.
1: Yeah, it's like uh, I definitely like have a hard time reading lately, like more and more. So it sort of uh, forces me to like retain that skill somewhat. <laughs> it's very hard to read these days. That's not on a screen. Um, like my like, brain can't process words on paper anymore. But so like, it definitely like forces it, that muscle to work a little bit. Um, but yeah, I don't think I've like finished like a actual, like I just like collect them and then like, I, I, like but I read them on like my phone or iPad.
0: <laughs> I uh, go, try to go to Barnes & Noble once a month and I'm like picking up books and I'm like oh David Sedaris short stories on my nightstand blah, blah blah and I'm like there's eight that I haven't even cracked open yet oh yeah sure they're much more decorative than anything now I've <laughs> i have, I'm, there's intentions I do want to read them um random question what
1: do you think of robots um I think they can be cool I think it's is exciting but I think uh think like uh you mean like robots like ai or like robots like robotics like uh any of them hmm. um i think they could all like i think it's like any tool where uh it can be great or bad you know like fire uh today there's these really bad fires out in granada hills and that's bad but fire is also great sometimes and i think ai and robots will be very similar and it depends on um the user, you know? Yeah. Um,
0: yeah. I had this conversation with, uh, are you familiar with Giant Robot, the art store in mm-hmm. uh, Sawtell? So yeah. It's great. Talking to Eric Nakamura and asked him this question 12 years ago. And he's, <laughs> he, he said something I never thought about. He was talking about in Japan, he's like, if you culturally look at American robots and Japanese robots and story, Japanese robots or J- robots that came out of that part of Asia um, are operated by human beings. Mm-hmm. Robots in America in sci-fi or have or ai robots they yeah. have their own personality and i've just i just chew on this <laughs> for all these years to just think about like what a like how does that represent us as a culture like what does that mean and it's a really interesting point yeah, that he had that is weird um but not surprising <laughs> um what's the craziest thing you've ever done
1: mm, um i guess I, I don't know what do you mean by crazy
0: um looking back on it i don't think it's something you regret it's just something that like man i can't believe it. it could have been like you reaching out to um somebody in your career to pursue it and you're like I, I have no reason i should be doing this or it's something uh you did a trip that was like oh that was insane i shouldn't have done that mm-hmm. um or when you're in high school or something even in college maybe moving to new york was the craziest thing you've ever done
1: yeah i i feel like it, but... I feel like every decision or action is pretty crazy, you know, <laughs> like life in general is weird, uh, how it all kind of adds up to this moment, present moment. But, um, I don't know. Uh, I'd say, um, yeah, definitely moving to New York was, uh, was a big step. And, um, I think, um, I'm trying to think what else, I mean, I definitely like in those early years had no shame of like reaching out to people to, uh, you know, show my work. And I definitely like wrote a, a lot of emails to a lot of important people that I don't think I would do now. Uh, like it's actually kind of embarrassing thinking back on it. Like I would tell old me to just like dial it down a little. Um, but, uh, yeah, I can't believe like I, I, I did that. Uh, with like really no awareness or shame and uh, but it, it sometimes it worked and sometimes I'm sure it, it really didn't work <laughs> um, but uh, yeah that, that that was pretty I don't know where that came from well it's kind of interesting though because there's a there's something
0: about having the ability to put yourself out there and also be okay with uh, maybe you weren't okay with rejection at that time if someone ignored you or whatever it was but like it
1: it maybe built up your your confidence in a weird way yeah i I think like i i don't know i just like all i just like knew this is what i was supposed to be doing and and i just like uh, i don't know it was weird i I, like with anything else i wouldn't have done that you know like for music i wouldn't do that you know i wouldn't like reach out to a bunch of people to like listen to my music um but for some reason with writing i just like uh uh, and, you know, I think it helped like having a writing partner because then it's not like, you know, you're like doing that for two people, you know, so it feels like less weird. But, um, but yeah, I just like, I don't know, it was, I had like this innate sense that like it was going to work out and I just needed to like, keep pressing. And, um, and I think you hear that a lot with like uh, people who are, who are happy with what they're, or feel like they're um, doing what they're supposed to be doing. Um, there and like in terms of work uh that they always kind of like knew you know deep down that uh that's where they would end up and i think i think uh subconsciously something about it uh just kept me like pushing in a way that i i wouldn't for anything else do you remember the moment that you were like oh this is it i get it now and
0: i I want i want to do this forever (laughs) and i have i can i can do it forever
1: Hmm. I th- I think yeah I, I think it was like uh I mean, those early early days when I was writing that first pilot with my then writing partner you know I, I just found that I could I had a I could do that and think about that for long periods of time you know I could stay up really late only thinking about that and uh and I was like oh I I like you know there's not a lot of things you can do that with and so uh, there's a certain fulfillment when you can focus on one thing for a really long time. And so I feel like that's probably when, like, I was, like, something kicked into high gear, I guess. That's awesome. Yeah.
0: When you started writing the pilot, had you read a screenplay prior to that? How did, you, did you understand, like, even
1: just the format of how a screenplay worked? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I I just, like, I read a lot of blogs. I know you had mentioned uh, John August uh, earlier when we were talking, and I, uh, I read his blog a lot. There's um, this guy, Ken Levine, I think his name is, that I read his blog all the time and, uh, you know, ordered some books. Uh, although back then, I don't think I ordered. I, like, went in person and bought books. And, um, yeah, I, I just, like, uh, became a real student. But I think, like... Uh, But now I feel like um, uh, I I could probably do that obsessive uh, focus on like... um, I find that I I like doing that with other things now, too, you know, like uh, design or, um, you know, architecture or things like that. Like, I feel like I could like... uh, It just... I think screenwriting was like the first thing that like gave me that fulfillment, but, um, you know, I could easily see myself if everything went to shit that I I would find something new to obsess over. Well, I think that when you understand story, you can
0: apply that to an experience in a museum. You can apply that to a building. You can understand what an audience is trying to... And, you know, I've had conversations with architects, like, their favorite thing to do in a building is done is to go sit in the lobby and watch people experience Walk through a building and see how they're experiencing the space. And if, you know, did I... Are they looking at things i want them to look at and are they doing how, how are they moving like a water through this space and i think that there's a there's a story and everyone wants mm-hmm. to tell that story and i think whether you're an architect and you break that then you understand
1: how to tell that story you can apply that in other places either as well yeah i, I agree i mean i think writing helps you deconstruct things and um I and mean, there's really only like two things that anything does which is like rise or fall and um and once you know that, then you can, like, apply that to really anything. Um, there's actually uh, this machine learning algorithm that, I forget at what university, they fed, um, like, thousands of pieces of classic literature into this uh, machine learning and algorithm. And it found that there's only six ways humans tell stories. And it's all, like, different versions of rise or fall. You know, it's, like, rise, fall, or, like, fall, rise, rise, fall, rise, or fall, rise, fall. And, um... Yeah, and that makes sense. That's it's like really and and I think music is the same way. There's like a status quo chord and then you either rise or fall from it and then you resolve. And literally everything kind of falls into that. Um and uh Kurt Vonnegut actually um knew that uh before and um there's this YouTube lecture of him like graphing rises and falls and you know, he famously I think coined the term man and the whole arc uh which is like a uh, Think of fall rise, uh, and um, yeah, and I think uh, that that has helped me a lot. Just in approaching like anything, whether it's like um, you know music or narrative, any sort of narrative, uh, to know that like we're ultimately only those are like you know it's very generic and, and broad, but like that really is what it boils down to. <laughs>
0: so. A great, it's a great way to segue into this question. You get, you get an assignment, you, you're coming up with an idea, you get a project, you've been working on a treatment, you've been working on a synopsis, and you get it, uh, you, you start moving forward with the project. You've got three weeks, you've got a deadline, however long it is, six weeks, eight weeks, whatever it is. How do you go from A to B? What, how do you approach it from like, you're, you seem like you're very methodical and also like you allow yourself to be creative, but like, how do you, now with your experience, how do you look at that period of time? And how do you get through it?
1: Weirdly, I think each thing has a life of its own, you know, and um, you just try to, like, go with the flow of it. Um, And you just approach it differently, you know. Some days I'll, like, uh, try a different way in or rethink something. Uh, Other days I'll, like, watch a bunch of stuff and see if it inspires something. But, um, but yeah, every project, uh, it's, like, a very different process. So, yeah, so sometimes you might...
0: Uh, do you sit there and like, okay, I'm going to outline this season? Like, nope, I'm just going to work on the first 10 pages, or I'm going to build out a character. Or I'm going to, you know, write a Bible. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do, oh, you I do, see. do you do, do you do any of those things now? That um,
1: Well, a lot of it is uh, a lot of the steps kind of um, are intrinsically there because of the selling process, you know? Uh, like for my pilots, they, you, you know, at first you kind of get like a kernel of some sort of inspiration, and then you, uh, um, mm-hmm. um, kind of flesh it out, and then uh, hopefully find producers that want to do that with you, and then um, and then you go pitch it. And when I pitch, my pitches are very, very and uh, in, like intense. <laughs> like I do like this crazy PowerPoint presentation, and usually like Photoshop and storyboard each scene that I'm talking about. And it takes forever for me to finish these presentations. And um, and so, a lot of that has, when you're doing that, you've done a lot of the groundwork and you're setting up like the general arcs and um, where, you you know, different seasons and characters and things. So, a lot of that's done when you're pitching it. And then, hopefully, someone buys it. And then, when they buy it, they have their input. And so, then you have to go back and revisit and, and tweak. And then, and then naturally, once you sell it, there's like steps. And so you first you turn in an outline, and uh, and then you get notes on the outline. Then you go to your first draft, and then you get notes on that. Uh, so that kind of like gives it some structure, um, but each each of those steps kind of has its life of their own, I think. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. can totally
0: see that. That's neat. I love the fact that you spend, you're a writer, but you also spend all this time actually creating the visual elements to sell through your idea.
1: Yeah, because I, I think I'm more of a visual person. I'm actually not a very good writer. I, 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 it's very, very hard for me. Um, and uh, and so I, a lot of times when I get stuck, um, what's helped a lot actually, uh, and I'm, I, this is a, um unsolicited uh, promotion, uh, is the Uh, iPad pro with the pencil, (laughs) like I didn't think I'd like it so much, but, uh, with the pencil, I can like go and draw each scene that is in my head. And so I will like draw each and storyboard certain areas, you know, like a cold open and I'll just kind of like close my eyes and try to imagine it and then draw it. And then that actually helps, uh, give it some form. And then, um, and then I can take that and then make, create some beats out of it. And then, and then hopefully that turns into something, but, uh, yeah, the, the visual element for me is very, very important. Uh, cause, uh, I think my head goes there first.
0: That's amazing. If you, if you, the fact that you said that you don't think you're a strong rider, do you beat yourself up at times about it? Or do you like, you
1: know, like, well, this isn't my strength, so <laughs> I'll power through. Um yeah there's definitely i think like uh a lot of writers go through similar phases of writing where like you know at first you're like i can do this this will be good i'm excited to start this project and then like and you're like i'm 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 pretty great and then you like start and you're like oh no (laughs) <laughs> I'm not good at all. And then you like finish something and then you're like, I'm the best writer of all time and this is going to change the world. And then you reread it and then you're like, oh boy, that's really bad. And, um, and so you go through these phases of thinking you're the best, but then also the worst. And, um, and that's just kind of life, you know? <laughs> that's <laughs> <And> then, <laughs> absolutely life.
0: Do you, through your creative process, do you in- do you, through this, this stuff that we've been talking about, your,
1: your mm-hmm. career phase, are you ever bringing in people for insight? Mm-hmm. Yeah, all the time. Um, I mean, that's like a fairly... Uh, I started doing that like probably like uh, uh, when my career phase changed. Um, like my first phase was that phase I was talking about that was with a writing partner and then phase two was solo and as I like kind of rediscovered myself, um, I think in that second phase, I started to um, uh, bring in more people to, uh, people that I trust and I, I don't feel judged by to like, um, you know, pretty early on constantly be like getting feedback. Uh, cause I think it's, you know, um, no idea is precious. You know, we're all like the same thing really expressing itself. <laughs> and so, uh, um, it's just nice to have, uh, to just like constantly be getting feedback and making it better, I think.
0: Earlier in your career, people are a little more precious about their ideas, right? Because they think they have right. like this thing that no one else has thought of. <laughs> yeah, they don't want anyone giving feedback on. Yeah. it. Yeah,
1: and, and I think, um, and I, I definitely used to be that way, uh, um, and it makes me cringe. Um, and I can still be that way sometimes, but I think now I'm more aware that, like, uh, yeah, that again, that we're like we're we're pretty much. The same. We're just like the universe experiencing itself. So, uh, so whether I come up with something or someone else does, it really doesn't matter. Um, all these narratives, I think, are trying to uh, be a mirror of uh, helping us evolve. And so, uh, so like, yeah. Now I'm like more like, oh, just whatever helps. Uh, like it's more about being a vessel for for um, I guess. Uh, authentic moments uh and and then um being possessive about any idea uh which is why it's so funny to me when like um you know a lot of times like this happens a lot culturally where similar ideas tend to pop up at the same time um i think it's called like multiple discovery theory or something like that i don't know but uh it's kind of like how um Uh, the telephone was invented, uh, by not only Alexander Graham Bell, but, uh, this other woman on the same day, uh, like, like thousands of miles apart. And I think, uh, I think it's penicillin or some antibiotic too that one person's given credit for, but it actually popped up in several places in history around the same time. And I think, um, uh, idea wise, creatively, that happens a lot too, because, uh, you know, like obviously, um, like right now, there's a lot of like alternate reality stuff and, you know, sometimes parts of my, people are like, oh, that person ripped off that person or like, "Uh, or, you know, there. but it's really what's going on, I think, is that we're all like, you know, people that are experiencing very similar environmental factors. And so when you have those inputs, that naturally the output, uh, the Venn diagram can be fairly large. And so that's why you have these, like, weird instances of very, very similar things popping up. Um, and and so I think it's just like, uh, so you can't be precious about it, you know, because you're really just like, um, it's just like, we're all things just responding to external uh, stimuli, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that what's <clears throat> interesting is that
0: if you go into a room and you say you're really precious about this one idea, you're almost saying like I don't. This is the one I got. <laughs> I don't have many more. Sure. So like you better like this one. And I had a mentor <laughs> right. early on say like you know uh, if they don't like the one idea, I'm like well I got a hundred thousand more I can come up with. Mm-hmm. But to your point, you also realize that there's elements of a story that you have to fight for. That you're like no, this is really important to the story. As a writer, you know that um, there are certain things that are are important for the, the arc and then you, but you have to receive feedback and navigate that. And then you, you, it's almost a little bit of politics through the, you know, through business, you have to know how to navigate those waters carefully. Oh yeah, for sure. It's, and it's, there's a learning curve to that for sure. Of all the characters you've had the privilege to write for, who's one of your favorite?
1: Yeah. I, I don't, I'm not sure. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> uh, uh, I just—I uh, don't know if, um, yeah, I don't think they've announced the season of the show that I had written for okay. recently, but that was really fun to write for. <laughs> in the future, we'll, re- we'll come back to that one. <laughs> yeah. As it relates to
0: characters that you've created, can you do? You have any, do you think you want to talk about? Do you have one for that, or is that also in the future?
1: I try to only write stuff now that I actually, uh, um, uh, care a lot about. You know, I think before uh again, first phase, I was selling a lot of stuff just to sell it and to please others um and to try to figure out what the other wanted um and so now I try to like write stuff that uh that I like and that I find interesting. and so each project now for the most part you know they're, they're each character is very fulfilling in different ways. yeah, that's amazing
0: um. What do you love about your job?
1: You know, I love, I love just, uh, that, um, it allows, uh, ways to like express things in my head, you know? Um, it's, it's like a, it's like a nice outlet and, um, I do, uh, I do like the collaborative aspect of it. Uh, it's like a nice balance for me of like being able to be a hermit and like, um, i like being in my cave and like just uh create uh but then at times uh allow myself to collaborate with people i really uh, love and enjoy um especially lately i think like you naturally um the more you filter out uh stuff that isn't you and you and you're true truer to yourself you naturally draw people that are in line with you and that's been happening a lot more um in recent years and and so you get to meet a lot of really cool people that you vibe with, and um, and so that that's been really great. You know, uh, yeah, like I, I just been really really fortunate um, getting to collaborate with uh, some amazing humans.
0: That's cool. The yeah. law of attraction, right? You start can, can, starts coming together.
1: Yeah, it's very strange.
0: Um, do you think that there is something that makes a script great? Mm. Like as you're reading, even something that you're not. Like,
1: what do you think makes I think just uh, for me, uh, I, I just, cons- I, I, I spark two, uh, things that feel very true and real, I guess. Uh, uh, I think, um, anything that feels contrived is, uh, the stuff that like hurts it. And so, um, yeah, I think, uh, the stuff that makes a script good is just like, just like whatever feels authentic
0: what personality trait do you do you think is most important to a writer
1: mm, i don't i don't know that there is one you know uh it's like yeah i think uh i don't think there is one i think like you just got to you just got to be you and then um <laughs> yeah. I know I keep saying the same thing, but I think but that's, it's, But yeah. that's a hard thing to do for a lot of people,
0: especially when you're young, you know, to all the things mm-hmm. that we've talked about with like what society makes us think we are. You actually have to remove all that stuff and then find you yeah. <laughs> and be okay with you. <laughs> so
1: that's actually quite complex. It is. Yeah. It's very, like, it's much harder to do. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's less a, of a trait and probably more of a the journey that I think, uh, is important, but not only for writing, but for, for anything like, uh, uh, is, um, yeah, just trying to like, uh, strip away stuff and, and, and figure out uh, who it is that you are and what you're trying to say. And, um, and, and the, the more you can do that, I think the better your writing will be.
0: You said something earlier that I, uh, I keep thinking about, it and I was like, well, I'll follow up with that. And I'm like, no, actually, no, we've gone on, but I have to go back to it. It's like a dog with a bone. You talk about your pitches right so you, you said mm-hmm. that it's you have this very intricate pitch process do you mm-hmm. enjoy the pitch phase
1: i do you i like, love pitching I weirdly love it <laughs> i'm like <laughs> i would rather do that than write honestly if i could just like pitch for a living, like create powerpoints for a living i'd be very happy <laughs> really <laughs> yeah i think so
0: <laughs> so you you know you, you roll up to a studio you've got this big presentation there's a lot of partners and you're like give me the ball <laughs> like i want this
1: oh well you go over it with your partners beforehand right. so yeah. they're very aware of what what i'm what i'm about to uh unleash on these buyers uh and um yeah yeah I, I bring my laptop and i have like a you know like usually like a 35 to 40 slide presentation with like uh very interactive like multimedia music and like trigger points and things like that and um yeah it's funny now like uh now like i think like um the word's kind of gotten out and so like i think like i've definitely gotten some people like i have heard about your powerpoints we're excited and and so i gotta like tone it down a little but um well weirdly like
0: it's the most important part of the project mm -hmm. is like uh is nailing that right and that's why i think it to some people it's nerve-wracking it's so terrifying they're shaking before they go on those meetings they hate presenting they might be the most outgoing people of all time but it's tough it's a, it's a tough audience sometimes
1: oh yeah it, it can be the worst but I've, I've like a weirdly um now i've like i don't get nervous at all and i just sort of like it's so like presentational and like uh it almost just feels like you're like performing or it's like (laughs) it's like performance art or something and uh so i like just kind of block out the people that are there and i just like focus on and and the, the my pitches are so like meticulously planned that um most of the time my brain is just like remembering and like um so i don't have time to like really think about anything else that's smart yeah
0: yeah and you're also like And you're, you're giving them an experience versus like a presentation you're giving. It's like, they're going into LACMA and they're saying something. And I actually, I think about it. I have a feeling in the Smithsonian at one point, there's going to be an exhibit of Sony's presentations. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What advice do you have for somebody who's coming out of college, comes out of any college in America around the world, and they want to be a writer in in Los Angeles?
1: Mm -hmm. Um, What's
0: the single advice you would give them?
1: I'd say, um, apart from what we've already talked about in terms of like, you know, giving yourself the space to get to know yourself, uh, I'd say like, uh, just put in, put in the hours, you know, uh, I think a lot of people, uh, get caught up in the other stuff that they can't control. Like, um, you know, like who, who do I network with or like, how do I get an agent and, um, you know and so much of that is luck anyway that really the only thing you can control is uh your content and um and I, and I just like put in the hours rewrite try new things um constantly be doing only that cuz i think if your stuff is good uh it'll it, it'll naturally like open doors for you um and so many times, and even for myself, like when I look back at my early stuff, I like I would never send it out now, but but um, you know at the time I was like, oh, this is awesome, and uh, but it, but it wasn't, and I could have stood to probably improve a lot of that, and uh, and and the more you can make your stuff great, just like the wider the doors will open, and um, and I think too many times people blame it on uh, other factors, like oh, I don't. I don't know the right people or uh, I'm just unlucky or like I need to uh, be a writer's assistant on this show or that show. And and yeah, th- those help and those are factors, but like, you know, if you suddenly wrote Eternal Sunshine, like people will pay attention, you know? Uh, it's like hard to ignore greatness. And so just put in the hours to try to be great. I love that.
0: As far as your current projects, we've talked a little bit about them. And then out there in the universe, uh Tuco and is out there. Mm-hmm. And uh, what was that, pro- how was it like working on that?
1: Oh, I loved that show, and I loved working for it. Lisa Hanewalt is the absolute best. Uh, she, um, you know, she says it was her first time show running, but she certainly it didn't feel that way. She, felt, she knew exactly what she was doing. She had a very clear vision, super collaborative, no ego. Um, creates a really safe environment to create. Uh, I really, I I loved uh, working for her. Um, I find that in general, uh, Raphael Bob Blacksburg's shows all have um, environments that are very, very fondly talked about. Like I have a lot of friends on BoJack and they just love writing for that show. I think he just has like a really good knack for like um, good humans is a good radar for that and i think that's very very important for a writing environment like m- maybe even more important than um than like finding the best talent necessarily because talent's so subjective anyway that uh finding really good humans is is super key and they do a great job of that and all the writers on and converti were like incredible people um it was super fun because, you know, we were starting from scratch. I mean, like not scratch, Lisa had so many ideas already, but it was like a new show, which was always fun to think about. And, and Tiffany and Ali are, are, such great voices and Steven Yun, uh, John Early, I mean, just had like a banger, uh, cast. And so, yeah, it was super fun. As it relates to what you wanted audience to feel at the end of season one, what did you want them to feel? Um. I mean, I think we wanted them to feel like a really strong friendship between these two bird women. You know, a friendship that felt uh, very relatable and true, even though they're birds. And um, and I think I think we accomplished that. You nailed it. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you. We only have like three more questions left. Oh yeah, sure. sure. Um, and I, and I don't mind. We don't have to like stick to the questions either.
0: Yeah. No. I just there's uh, there's a couple I really curious about. How do you define
1: success? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I guess, uh, probably with like other words, like like there's financial success, which is like easily to measure because you just look at your bank account. Uh, and I guess there's like, um, like personal success, which is like how fulfilled and content you are uh, overall. Um, and then I guess there's like critical success, which is like, uh, how well received you are by your peers. Um, and they're all different. Um, and I, uh, don't judge one over the other, I guess, but they're all different. (laughs) And, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's tough. It's tough to gauge. Success is a weird thing. Mm hmm. Do you believe in magic? Mm, I guess it depends on. Sorry, I like to. I have a hard time like defining of things, course. and but uh, yeah, I guess it depends on what you mean by magic. Uh, uh, maybe you run into somebody, and it
0: was meant to be. Do you believe in that? The universe provided <laughs> this interaction.
1: Yeah, I definitely go back and forth on that. Uh, I think. Uh, I think magic can be as real as the, as your perception wants it to be. And if, and if you really believe in magic, then of course it it is real, but if you don't, then it's not. And so I think it depends on your own perception. Uh, for me, I definitely waffle back and forth with all that like synchronicity stuff. And, uh, uh, but there's some, there's definitely like things that have happened that are so strange and so weird that, um, that it's very hard to deny at this (laughs) point. Uh, yeah. But I, 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 go through phases where I'm like a super skeptic and then stuff happens and I'm like, uh, that's very hard to ignore. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm probably lean more into the believer side right now. Right. Presently. Um, how do you think
0: we can make the world a better place?
1: Hmm. Um. One by being true to yourself and trying to like hear your like your own voice, like the highest version of your own voice, and um, and then I think also like uh, I think there's like this Gandhi quote that's probably super cheesy about like the only way to find yourself is by serving others. And I think that's probably true and probably a way to make the world a better place is just to like serve others and to uh, like not, I mean, I feel like uh, I almost wore this one shirt today that uh, this other tie dye shirt that says uh, your ego is not your amigo. It's by um, Online Ceramics and um, uh, shout out Online Ceramics. are like the best. But I, I do think that uh, the world would be better if we spent more time um, trying to quiet our ego. I don't mean like pride. I mean like your sense of self because, uh, you know, like our, our sense of self is kind of like an illusion. It, it's just, you know, there's this part of our brain and like the prefrontal cortex, I think, that like uh, kind of houses like this idea of a self. And, um, and I think uh, so much of our culture is trying to m- boost that. You know, and, um, but when you like meditate or run or listen to music or pray or do psychedelics or whatever, the actual brain scans show, um, that part of your brain with the self, oxygen and blood flow dies down in that area and it quiets down, but then the rest of your brain, uh, that never talks to each other, the whole thing lights up. Wow. And so... I think the more we can do that whatever that is and whatever activities help you get there then that will definitely make the world a better place because you're not thinking about yourself so much um you know there's a i, I kind of like to think about it like um like octopods like um like an octopus like has eight arms and each arm actually has its own mini brain and so like Uh, that's why when you like cut off an octopus arm by food, the arm still like, you can see it, like go run off and get the food because that arm thinks like, oh, that's my job. I'm an arm, I'm autonomous arm and I'm going to go get the food. That's what I'm very good at. And then suddenly it looks around and there's no body. And, uh, I think that's so interesting because sometimes I'm like, oh, I wonder if like, we are like those arms, you know, we have our brains but for us like our sense of self has gotten so strong that we feel individual and separate that we're these individual arms and that all we need to do is do the best for me this arm but if we can quiet our brains then we'll realize that we're like all a part of this giant octopus and the more i think we can do that and feel in the flow of that um Like the better the better kind of like overall octopus we can be you know you don't want to just be like this stubborn arm thank you for taking the time to
0: check out the smith society and i hope you enjoyed our conversation with lee sung jin if you did enjoy it please take a moment to subscribe follow whatever it is whatever platform you're using to listen to this uh and even better leave a comment i'd love to know what you think doing those things really help Get this story and these stories out to more people. So I know it's a little bit of work, but it's extremely appreciated. Um, you can check out Lee Sung Jin on Instagram at Be Here Later, which I think is such a clever name and is so Lee Sung Jin. Uh, and you can find us on Instagram as well at The Smith Society Pod. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. You're awesome.